Welcome to the Metacast interviews. In this series, we invite the most interesting people in the gaming space to share with you their stories, successes, insights, advice, and spicy takes. My name is Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to none other than Gabby Dyson, co-founder of Yield Guild Games. Yield Guild Games, or YGG for short, is a play-to-earn gaming guild, bringing players together to earn via blockchain-based economies. In this conversation, we'll go deeper into how YGG works, how blockchain and games go together, and how gaming studios can become successful in this space. Gabby, welcome to the Metacast. Thanks for having me, Nico. I'm super excited for this. I mean, uh, your name has been circling, you know, the, the the gaming space quite a lot after your you know big name investors uh, decided to to get in. So uh, fantastic stuff you've been doing, and very excited to to dive into this. Um, first question is is one I like to ask to everyone, and I'm specifically curious to hear your answer. What game are you currently playing? <laughs> so right now, actually, what I tell people is that my my day-to-day life as a guild leader is so much like a video game that I, I cannot get myself to play games anymore. <laughs> mm. All right, that's fair. Yeah, it, it makes me think of um, the stories where you had like guild leaders in the past, you know, organizing raids. Yeah. Um, and they were actually like the strategic brains that actually didn't touch the game anymore. But in the end, we're playing a different game to facilitate yeah. uh, the others being successful. That's very much how it is. All right, let's um, let's talk about YGG and and maybe let's lay the foundation first. So um, maybe you can go into what uh, Yield Guild is exactly, and uh-huh. more specifically, how do you explain it to people in the gaming space? <laughs> so yeah, uh, so YGG is what we call a play-to-earn gaming guild. That means uh, we buy into NFT assets of different blockchain games as a guild. So. For example, we own a lot of axes, we own a lot of cars in Formula One Delta Time. We have a lot of land in games like Sandbox and League of Kingdoms. And once we have these assets, we actually lend them out to our player base, the guild members, so that these Mm -hmm. guild members are playing with the assets that we own inside the game um, and are able to make some money off that through the game mechanics, get some token-based rewards, and... Uh, ultimately be able to cash out to fiat. So think about it as like a World of Warcraft, War- Warcraft guild with uh, with a bank account. That's like, if you come from the gaming space, that's probably the best way to look at it. Okay. And where you basically distributed good equipment over your, your team members enabled to enable them to, you know, do raids and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's right. We onboard a lot of people into the crypto economy via these games, which means that they don't have to start with money. They have Mm -hmm. to start with gaming skill. And of course, you need equipment and equipment might be expensive. But since the guild provides the equipment, you can come in and kind of start playing right away. All right. Does Yield Guild also get involved like more deeply into blockchain projects or does it just stay with, you know, owning and renting these uh, gaming assets? We invest, uh, which means that we have an investment team that is basically getting into private rounds, buying tokens and NFTs. So we try to get in as early as possible, like similar to a VC investor, but we don't buy any part of the company. We're Mm. actually only interested in the assets of the game and the tokens that represent the game economy, because that is kind of what we want to help make successful. All right. Um, and, and so how does it work? Because I, I heard in another interview or another post of you that you were also looking into letting others through YGG, you know, lend out their own assets. So, for example, me, um, like two months, a few months ago, I wanted to get into Axie or want to understand it. So I bought a few Axies. I realized that either my Axies are not very good or I'm just very bad at the game because I wasn't having much success. Uh, what if I wanted to rent out my Axies? Like, could I do that through YGG or would I have to do it another way? Um, it's something that's part of our roadmap, and the theory for that is that we buy all of these assets and we make them available to our player base. So kind of we're making the platform for it to do that, but we're limited by the balance sheet or how much money we raise, which means that if we want to serve millions of people around the world, we would have to just keep raising money. But once we have that lending marketplace live, which is uh, under development, that means people can uh, basically lend us their assets and then we can go out and turn around and turn and lend them to other people as well. And yeah, it's something that we want to do because then people can be investors. Uh, maybe you have more money than time. You can buy these assets and still put them to good use by lending them out. So yeah, so it's not live yet, but it's something that is part of our roadmap. That's interesting. Um, how many scholars do you have today? We have just a little under 5,000. 
Can you talk about like more in depth how you manage this? Like how, how does that work? So Yieldguild doesn't manage the scholars itself directly. We have community managers who are also like part of the uh, player community who come in and recruit and train um, these Axie scholars from around the world. So we have community managers from different parts of the Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, and other places like um, in Latin America, for example, uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil. And they... Uh, they form their local communities and uh, recruit players and train them how to play the game. We give we give these uh, community managers access to our assets so that they can lend them out to the players they're recruiting, and they start uh, the players start playing. And then, in the case of Axie, they earn SLP or Smooth Love Potion tokens, and then we do a revenue share on the SLP earned. Seventy percent goes to the player. 20% goes to the community manager and 10% goes to us, YGG. So that means as a community manager, um, I'm able to, like I'm incentivized to train and recruit people because I'm also getting a percentage uh, share of what they're earning. Hmm. All right. So these will also be people in the end who don't play the game themselves, but they facilitate. They're playing a different playing. game. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, and how does this start working at scale? Because right now you have, so you have 5,000 5, scholars. How many community members uh, or managers? 19, 19. 19. Um, like, how do you look at scaling this up? Because I feel like 5,000 is still um, relatively low for the potential that, that, that you have. Um, how, how do you look at growing this number towards a million? Yeah, we want to be in the millions. And there's two components to that. One is the assets, and then second is the managers. The manager system is, I would say, scalable because we can... Uh, recruit managers from any part of the world and then they're the ones that go out and recruit the players. So we've started um, hiring people in the team. For example, we have a country manager in the Philippines that go goes out and trains community managers on, uh, gives them content, gives them training. Uh, actually, the closest analogy we have is not a game company, but a ride-sharing company like Uber that does driver acquisition, gives them kind of training. So, uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing. And on the other hand, we need to have a lot of assets to provide to these players. So we're very aggressively like breeding more axes, investing in more games, buying more land. So we are basically investing into the future of the metaverse, into these assets in different games and virtual worlds so that we can have a lot of different assets to provide to, to our player base. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the future, you see yourself like in every major city have like a group of community managers that then manage a, a group of scholars, each of them. Yeah, absolutely. All over the world. Okay. Could you talk a bit more how you make these investment decisions, right? You now have more and more blockchain games popping up everywhere. Uh, more and more teams seeing the potential starting build, to build something. How do you choose which one, one to, to look at to invest in to buy tokens or to buy land or NFTs? Sure. So we've invested into 13 games to date. Axie is the one that I guess we are most known for, but we've invested into games like League of Kingdoms, Guild of Guardians, Ember Sword, Star Atlas, Zed Run, um, and others. Um, some of them, the, the game's already live. Some of them won't be out until maybe six months to maybe two years from now. So the first thing that we really look at is like, how does the economy work? So that's the most important thing because we are investing into these assets for a specific purpose. We want uh, we want to invest in assets that are basically yield producing, that produce some kind of reward so that our guild members can earn some money off it. So th that means taking a look at like how the game designers are thinking about the economy, how rewards are produced, where the inflow of money will come from, what are they investing into, and how sustainable it looks in the long term. So. In a way, it's not that different from taking a look at the economy of a free-to-play game, except that here you are looking specifically at points where value can be transferred out to the blockchain, which makes them tradable peer-to-peer -peer and eventually cashed out to uh, to fiat, right? Um, so we take a look at that. We take a look at the team, like what's their track record? Are they strong in crypto? Are they strong in games? Are they strong in both? Of course, if they're strong in both, we really love them. And then, yeah, and then we, if we like it, then we talk with the team and uh, make a decision to invest. And when we invest, we invest mainly in the NFT assets. So we're investing directly into the game's economy. And we also take a smaller position in the game's token. Like we're not a VC. We're not primarily driven by 
basically like a multiple on on our return we want to make sure that our assets stay a long time um and have our players basically earn earn an income from it so in a way we're more like a uh kind of a berkshire hathaway that likes to invest in really good assets and keep them for a really a long amount of time mm-hmm. so we, we're not really trading or selling assets and what is currently so you have a few games that are live um what kind of uh, return on investment are you currently looking at like what return do you have on on, on every dollar invested uh, each year what we look at specifically actually is like how are our players earning like we've made a uh, significant i would say um increase in like the the value of the nfts that we invest in and um we we do publish reports on that but what's more important is that how much are our players earning from the assets that we have so that is like the primary thing that we look at and right now for a game like axie infinity a player is probably earning somewhere between like 400 to 600 dollars a month and in some cases uh, it could be as higher like a thousand dollars or more um yeah, but I would say like like four to six hundred is around the average, and that's very important for us because in some countries around the world, that is a very significant amount of money that is kind of akin to like a job, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> These axes that we're talking about now would cost actually like around that amount, right? I think it would be cost it would cost six hundred dollars now to get axes that would then re- result in a six hundred. For um, one axe, uh, you need three to start a team, uh-huh. so. Uh, yeah, so you need to buy three to start playing. So there's a return on investment on an Axie team of probably two to three months. It, of course, a lot depending on different factors. Yeah. But yeah, if even if you look at it like as a pure business, it's a it's mm-hmm. a pretty good business. Could you um could you give me some insights in like the different types of games um, and their relation to yield returns? So on the one hand, you have land based games. Yeah. On the other hand, you have creature based uh, games like Axie Infinity. Uh, are there others? And, and, and how uh, how do the um, the returns then per player or per scholar differ? Yeah, so for example, um, League of Kingdoms is a strategy game, kind of, I guess, similar to Clash of Clans. And the, the difference is that players own land inside the game. And if money is spent on top of that land in the map, then a portion of the of the purchase goes towards the landowner um, in DAI or basically dollars. So so that's how that works. Um, a game like Formula One Delta Time, if you race and win, uh, you earn the rev token. Um, so yeah, so the, the play to earn component is slightly different in each game, but it re- it more or less results in you earning a either a fungible token that can be turned into uh, Ether or, or back to fiat or an NFT that you can then sell. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you expect this to um, evolve? So the the return that you can get with time and and as the industry and the whole blockchain space matures. So, it is super early in the play to earn space, and I would say there is no kind of one playbook yet. As kind of there isn't free to play, where I would say that people generally understand how how money is made in in a game. Um, there's still a lot of experimentation on what works and what doesn't. And it's only really Axie at this point who's really broken out and found like real product market fit um, to the point where they're earning maybe 30 to $40 million of marketplace revenue a day um, and doing a lot of user growth without being available in any of the major app stores. But we're seeing now a lot of talent from the game industry and the, from the crypto industry kind of making studios, making new games, making a new experiment. So, uh, we're we're expecting to see an incredible amount of innovation in the next maybe six to twenty four months, and a lot of like really high quality titles coming out from experienced teams. Mm-hmm. Are there a few that you're excited about particularly? Um, yeah, just to name a few, uh, Guild of Guardians is one that's created by the Immutable X and Stepico team. So it's um, like it's a like Diablo-ish ARPG with play to earn elements and uh it's uh it's a mobile title as well so i've always loved diablo and arpg so i'm really excited for that um ember sword is a kind of full fantasy mmo and like they have different factions and players can choose which faction they're in and like uh it's it's a bit you, you can play it via a browser or a full kind of uh, PC experience, so that that is also pretty exciting. We actually own a city um, in uh, in that game, 
and yeah, so, so on and so forth. There's just like the the greatest thing about what's coming out is there's a lot of variety uh, in the types of games that are coming out, so people can really choose like you know what games they really enjoy rather than just going for like which game can make them the most money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, the space is all very new, so I'm very curious to to understand how you think about allocations per game. So, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you currently own like most of your assets are actually axes. Yeah. Um, how do you decide like how many of of a certain game, like how many land you'd buy of of, of some game, for example? Yeah, super good question. So it comes when we do the investment evaluation, and like we what we want to do is like if we are uh, fairly confident in a game, we want to have some exposure to it so that uh, when we have assets and the game starts going live, our players can start playing it. We don't have to go too heavy. Like, we're not going to invest a million dollars in a game before it launches. We might invest, for example, $100,000 and then have the community start playing it. Because when the community starts playing it, then you have a good idea of like how is actually the game doing. And you have a better sense of like, you know, is this game going to last? How are the developers thinking about like iterating on the economy? How are they doing with community? And this happened with Axie where we've invested millions of dollars into Axie, but it didn't really start that way. It was really because of like the increasing in community engagement over time that has allowed us to really step up our investment. So how we like to do it is that we, we of all the games that we like, we invest a small amount, um, typically pre-launch. Um, when the game launches, we help them launch, help them with AMA, help them with community support, maybe airdrops, like uh, exclusive NFTs. And then we watch how our community reacts to the game. And if our community is really into the game, then we know that it's worth putting in more money because like uh, we can do the game can handle more engagement and, and uh, greater user base. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. And uh, I'd love to dive in deeper a little bit later in that as well. Um, before that, you, so you talked about uh, your community. Um, can you discuss about how YGG is set up? Are you a company? Are you a DAO? Uh, how does it work exactly? So YGG is a DAO. It's not okay. a company. So we are a DAO of uh, more than 60,000 players around the world. Who Could you, before yeah. you continue, could you explain a bit what a DAO is before? <laughs> sure. Uh, so a DAO is a distributed autonomous organization. It's basically a group of people that are working together towards a common goal. And usually they are bound together by uh, a crypto token, for example. Um, so that token kind of, it may represent a membership or it may re- represent governance um, in the group and what it's trying to do. And it's also the case in um, in YGG. So now there are 60,000 people who are part of the DAO and uh, yeah, basically playing the different games and interacting with the community and uh, also earning money from the different um, games that we are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if I would translate it, I guess it would be something similar where you make a World of Warcraft guild. Every person in that guild gets a number of tokens. These tokens have kind of voting power. Yeah. And then they all get some kind of distribution of the proceeds of whatever that guild uh, accomplishes. So they have membership and voting power. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they can vote on is uh, distribution, basically. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't... Okay. Is it doesn't automatically give yeah. you a, a distribution right, but if you uh, if you basically vote to do so, then it could happen. Yeah, and so I can imagine that right now because the gaming space or the blockchain gaming space or play to earn space is still so young, it makes more sense instead of distributing to buy more assets to have more community members and to grow the the whole community like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like we we want to be able to serve millions of people around the world. All right, um, and so how does your token work? Can you talk a bit more about that? So, uh, so the token represents uh, basically membership and governance access to to the guild itself. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain kind of exclusive benefits that you can get um, only if you hold a token, for example. And there's also different like guild uh, specific NFTs that you get that signify that you're a member of the guild. So, for example, uh, there is a membership badge which is an NFT that anyone can mint. Just uh, It's for free. You just pay gas. But if you mint that um, badge into that wallet, that means that you're a member of YGG. 
And then the token itself represents governance of the guild and the assets inside. So once we kind of set up the governance forum, then people can be able to propose and vote on uh, on different uh, proposals. And that's kind of how guild uh, management, um, I guess, is done. That builds on top of a community, right? And, uh, and every time every time we talk about blockchain games, one of the one word that always comes back is this this community word. How did you initially uh, build up your community around YGG? So the initial community of YGG came from the Axie community because a lot of our early players, um, scholars, managers, even early investors were part of uh, the Axie community. That said, there's a general um, interest in the play-to-earn in blockchain gaming space, especially as we um, invested into more games like League of Kingdoms, for example, people were interested in playing that game. So we've attracted people from different blockchain gaming communities and a lot of people who are interested in the metaverse. What are your current challenges that uh, YGG is facing? So one part of it is cultural. Um, Play to earn is new. And we've noticed that there is a really kind of ingrained um, notion in society that playing games is wasting time. So a lot of people around the world, billions of people in fact, have this skill, gaming, which they honed while growing up because it's fun, but they've always been taught that this is a time waster, it's not worth anything, you, you're you better off doing something else, maybe studying, learning a real skill, for example. Now that we've unlocked gaming as a skill that can be monetized via play-to-earn, people are realizing that the skill that they've been learning the entire time is actually worth something and they can earn money from it. But it's a little hard to believe, especially for maybe the parents of these players or uh, people around them, because, uh, yeah, society has always been trained to think that like games are a waste of time. So now we're kind of running as YGG is getting bigger, play-to-earn is getting bigger. There's still some disbelief in kind of general society that people are doing something productive, but they are doing something productive because you are like creating inputs inside a game that has an economy and you're getting something back, which is basically what work is, right? Um, so it shouldn't matter if you're doing it like via MS Office or you're doing it inside of Axie Infinity. You're creating value and you're getting paid because of the inputs that you do inside a, a virtual world. I'm going to I'm going to record that what you just said I'm going to send it to my mom because uh, <laughs> I've, I've I've been in that situation exact situation. That brings us nicely into my next question which is that there's still quite a lot of people in the games industry the traditional games industry who haven't come aboard the blockchain gaming hype train. Um I can imagine that you've met some of them. What do you say to them and and what like when was it that you know this blockchain game thing clicked for you and and how do you try to to convince them from uh, from your point of view? Yeah, so I've been in blockchain games and NFT since 2018 and there was actually a track on that at the game developers conference in San Francisco and I would say that it's been really met with a lot of skepticism from the game industry. Again, as we talked about earlier, in the same sense where there was a lot of skepticism about free-to-play in like the early 2010s, right? And yeah, so the, so with the game industry, I think there's kind of a seismic shift that happens in a business model every 10 years. And like within those 10 years, people kind of uh, optimize their learnings for the current business model and to get really good at it, which means maybe being good at a story-based game or being good at a free-to-play game. And when the shift in business model happens, a lot of people are making money there, so there's resistance to what is new. But then there are some people who are maybe mavericks or not doing well in the current business environment that try to create something new. And there's generally, I would say, either um, like it's dismissed or uh, people are downright hostile to it until it's proven that the new model really works. And then in such case, people start moving into it, right? So if you go into a new business model um, and you're early and it works, then it's really great. That's where the new like kings or uh, supercells are formed. But then there's a lot of trends that come up that maybe are slower to take off. And generally, game developers kind of wary of just being pulled into a new trend every so often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because you could make a case for like, uh, for example, AR VR that it, it was it was going to be so big and then it ended up being not very big yet, of course. Uh, yeah. ARVR, streaming games, 
uh, like a lot of different business models. And you know, as a game developer, a lot of independent game developers are living maybe title to title. It's hard to kind of have the promise lured. You know, to like this is where the riches are, and then for everything to not work, like it's it's happened again and again, and I've seen it in my almost twenty years as a game developer. So there's generally a lot of skepticism until something really works, and it wasn't until what Axie Infinity have what I call its clash of clans moment that game developers finally started paying attention. What was that moment? It was that moment when things just really started taking off. Um, it, it was around May last year. Axie was growing, I would say, 30% a week. And then the kind of daily volume was just going up to the point where it, it basically became the highest grossing game in the world without a presence in any of the app stores. You mean made this year, 2021, right? Or Yeah, this year, this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did that have anything to do with their switch to Ronin? Yeah, it was absolutely because of the switch to Ronin. Because Axie had been growing prior to that, but it had been stifled by Ethereum gas fees. So when Ronin came out and people can transact basically without paying gas, user, uh, yeah, just the user base shot through the roof, transactions shot through the roof, and uh, so many people were joining that it really stress tested the the game's capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember in the first weeks where I tried playing, this was a few weeks I think after they uh, they were they started on Ronin, um, where the game was down for a while, like it couldn't play, it couldn't do anything. Uh, so it was is well tra- stress tested back then. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, this is actually a community question, so I asked people on our Discord to uh, that I was gonna. I told them I was gonna have a conversation with you, and so um, their question was, uh, and this is relating to what we just discussed. How important is it for games to eventually cr- create their own le- layer two or side chain? Okay, so creating your layer two is, I would say, in hard mode. I don't think every game should create one. The pioneers who were the ones who were. Uh, creating these ones earlier because they had no other choice um like immutable x for example um uh, axis ronin they did so because there were like no good choices but for new games coming in i would absolutely encourage everyone to take a look at the current infrastructure don't care if it's layer one layer two side chain but you would not want to be in uh, Ethereum, if you want to have high throughput in terms of transactions, so you could be on a Ronin, you could be in a Flow, you could be in a Solana, you could be in a Polygon. YGG doesn't care which. If there's a good game, we will buy into it anyway. So, but yeah, like if you want transactions and throughput, it's hard to be on Ethereum itself. All right. And what are kind of the risks on 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 building, for example, on someone else's layer two on Ronin? Well, the risk, of course, is the kind of platform risk that you don't have any control of the platform and you have to thoroughly understand the trade-offs of the blockchain that you're building on like some are built for speed some are built for decentralization some are built for security some are permissioned some are completely permissionless Um, what happens if you're in a permissionless blockchain and then something else takes off and the entire network goes down and you have like no ability to deal with it because no one owns the blockchain, right? It's like you're you're sharing control of a global database with other people around the world. So there's a lot of factors to consider that aren't present when you're basically running your own private database. Mm-hmm. Yeah, blockchain does uh, bring some extra complexities in, uh, in everything, basically. So don't do it for fun, basically. <laughs> That's what I usually say. Um, when I talk about blockchain and games, so in the beginning, like we we're calling everything, you know, play to earn. And then I, I started shifting more towards blockchain and games. What is for you like the difference between play to earn and blockchain games? And is there any? So blockchain games is, uh, I would say, the kind of base level where you are using games that take contr- uh, that make use of a blockchain as a way to store assets instead of a private database. So that means if your assets are in a blockchain, whether they're NFTs or tokens, you uh, you externalize these and give ownership to, to the users who actually kind of buy these uh, assets. So a lot of games can be blockchain games if they use the blockchain in some way. They don't need to be play-to-earn. Play-to-earn is a very specific... I would say a business model similar to free to play in which you are using assets in a game, for example, NFTs, 
to play a game and then earn some kind of token-based reward. So that means you're investing in an asset, you're getting yield, and this this token can be uh, can be transferred back and sold into ether maybe or back into fiat currency. Okay. Uh, so as an example, let's say like I'm I'm a big shooter player. Uh, let's say I um. After 10,000 kills with a certain weapon, I receive an NFT, um, a cosmetic NFT of like a rare skin of that weapon. And I'm able to sell that for quite a lot of money because not a lot of players have 10,000 kills with that gun. Would you consider that a play to earn game or, or not necessarily? Yeah, that would be play to earn. It's, I would say, one step removed because you receive an item and sell it rather than getting a token directly. But that uh -huh. is still play to earn if okay. you can sell the item that you get. All right. Makes sense. Um, next question what are you looking for and avoiding in play-to-earn games to get involved in? And I'm specifically interested in some red flags that you, you analyze, you see, and that you, yeah, you basically want to stay away from. So the biggest red flag is an early, uh, I would say, focus on the price of a token. So related to a game, it's very dangerous to hyper-focus on price because especially if a price goes up by many multiples when the game launches because there's hype, because maybe there's like artificial scarcity. And then when people play and then earn that token, start selling it, and then price starts going down, then people are like, you know, disappointed, may think it's a scam. So we like to see the sustainability of an economy a lot more than, oh, is the price of a token going up? Like, it's not a quick game to earn a lot of profits and then move to the next one, which I think is damaging for the economy and the space. We want to take a look at games who are thinking about, like, how will the economy evolve in the next six months, one year, two years, five years? In my opinion, like, every play-to-earn game eventually turns into an MMO if it wasn't already because you are looking for a sustainable economy with the assets that your players have created and are using you need to be the kind of governor of economy and design experiences in the game for that uh, asset to be useful for people to want to put money in and in a sense it is re really designing an MMO mm -hmm. is there in your opinion like a play to earn model that hasn't been built yet some game you'd like to see or some some model that you like that hasn't been done successfully that you think has a lot of potential oh I think there's a lot of uh, like different applications that haven't been built yet. I think some are actually like been in development. We're we're seeing MOBAs come up. We're seeing first-person shooters come up. We're seeing like grand space operas, like trying to be, I guess, the next Eve Online, um, come up. We're seeing like full fantasy MMOs. So there's a lot of experimentation in this space. Maybe what we're not seeing is kind of melding um, like play to earn with with VR yet. Like that's the true kind of promise of Ready Player One. But I would say that like it's a niche with a niche. So I think developers are like kind of wary of that right now. Um, but yeah, there's actually a lot of different uh, gameplay styles that are coming up in the next few couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the VR play to earn might be. Uh... <laughs> five to ten years out yeah. it might be <laughs> yeah, hopefully yeah i mean uh, a lot of us are dreaming of that um next question um i'd like to have your thoughts on the sustainability of a model like axie um I, i've personally made this 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 remark that um just i'm curious to see what happens with axie infinity once there's no longer an inflow of new players or who want to start playing the game um what, what are your thoughts on that you, you must have heard this this remark right Sure. So the Axie gro growth model right now is predicated on new user growth, which is no different from the growth tactics of, say, um, a Hotmail or a PayPal, wherein before you you kind of you you get referral and get ten dollars in your wallet. So the SLP uh, growth is driven by breeders who buy SLP and give value to SLP because they want to breed Axies, and SLP is an ingredient for that. And and the breeders breed these axes and either sell these to new players come in or provide them for scholarships for new players. Now, of course, at a certain point when no new players come in, then the demand for new axes would stall and uh, the demand for SLP would stall as well. But you could say that that is true for basically every business, right? If no new customers come in, then you'll stop selling. So that's kind of a truism for basically any business. 
be it a free-to-play game or a store or even a website like Facebook. So the challenge on Axie's part is to build iteratively and keep on adding value and functionality into the system while the user growth is still climbing. I think we're still very early on in Playter in Space. Axie has remarkably done over uh, 1.5 million DAU already, but I think it could even hit 10, 10 million DAU or more, for example. But that said, like they've actually been developing a lot of different gameplay in the last two years. The land gameplay has been under development, the new version of battles. So while the current model is based on new user growth, number one, all businesses are like that. And second, they've been hard at work for the last two years actually creating new gameplay models on top of that. Mm. I mean, I could argue when you say that all businesses rely on user growth. I mean, I think one of the key differences is that once you have three axes, in theory, you're set. You know, your your axes don't die, right? Yeah. They don't go away. So they're they they can stay with you. And so I can get, imagine for a lot of other businesses, they made people like shoes. You know, lose quality, you'll need new ones. And and there's yeah. a, like a repeat purchase, which wouldn't be the case for Axie. Yeah, it's a very interesting game design question because it goes into how you design the assets that interact with your economy. Axes have no concept of durability or they don't degrade in the current model, which means that it limits the demand for new axes because, yeah, your axes don't die and they can keep producing SLP cash flow forever. Now, this presents a problem in that like it may limit the demand for uh, for new NFTs, for new axes, because you have three and you're okay, unless maybe the meta game changes or you want to collect more. So I would post this more as an interesting game design question than anything else. There's nothing that is preventing the Sky Mavis team from introducing like different functionalities to Axie. So yeah, so I would frame this as a game design problem. How are you going to use NFTs? How do you put in the concept of durability? How do you make the player wanting to spend more in a sustainable manner as well? Because you like it kind of uh, like why would you need to do NFTs if these become like broken or they uh, they die right anyway? So yeah, it's actually a super interesting game design uh, question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to see how how they solve that because uh, and 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 what you know happens with the land, etc. Um, moving on from there. Um, you talked earlier about you know how free to play suddenly emerged after people were focused on more consoles and PC uh, games. Um, how do you see blockchain games with respect to you know traditional games? Do you see this as something you know in addition? Do you think there will be a lot of PC and mobile games start integrating blockchain? How do you look at that? I see it as uh, starting to happen. I think all games that have a concept of an economy will move towards play-to-earn at some point. I think play-to-earn drastically increases the, the, the total available market of games in general because, pe- again, you're not playing games for entertainment anymore. You're playing games possibly for an income, whether it's probably not a full-time job, but it's a supplemental income. It makes the, it makes the economy more real when you're able to get value out of it. So I do think that games with an economy... Uh, will mostly be uh, like built on top of blockchain um, as we go by. That's interesting. And that then goes to my next question. How do you see traditional big AAA publishers like Activision and EA moving into blockchain games? Um, the answer there is very slowly. And <laughs> the reason for that is, one, um, they're making a lot of money already with current titles, a lot of which are like multi-billion dollar franchises with, uh, I guess, like, uh, like product release patterns that are kind of hard to break, and they've really optimized themselves at like creating this pipeline um, in the last few years. Second is that they're public companies, and if they go into something new that is potentially scary, that means they have a lot of risk on legal and regulatory side, and lawyers will be kind of cautioning them to do something that is, uh, yeah, that is potentially kind of a, a gray matter as of now, right? Um, so third is that they have public shareholders, which means that, yeah, there's a real possibility of being sued if like a public company comes out with a game that has a token and people don't like it. So it's actually very hard for the biggest game publishers today to get into play to earn, which presents a new field of opportunities for independent developers to come in and experiment backed by VCs 
or maybe on their own as independent and try these experiments to create something new. So I see right now in game development in Play to Earn as the greenest field of opportunity for new developers to come in and try to make something new and kind of append the world order in a bit, which hasn't been seen since the like 2008 to 2010, for example, when all of these social gaming companies were coming up. That's fantastic. My next question was going to be like, do you recommend every pe person who wants to build a new gaming company to start looking at blockchain games? And so uh, I guess your answer is, is, is yes. Well, it depends. If you want to build a narrative-based game, I don't see where blockchain might fit in. Okay. Um, yeah, so like a lot of like indie games that are very like mechanic-based or very um, uh, storyline-based, it probably doesn't make sense. So I wouldn't want to try to shoehorn blockchain into every game because what blockchain does is that it makes your economy real because it puts your assets on in a blockchain that players can own and basically trade by themselves and then cash out to whatever currency they're in. So if that means if there's an economy in the game and that economy can be exchanged for real value, it should be on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And what about teams who have like a, like experience building games, uh, multiplayer games with economies, uh, but they don't have any in like internal knowledge about blockchains? How would you recommend them move, to move forward? So there's a lot of highly technical teams already in uh, in games. And I would suggest really just taking the time to do a deep dive on the crypto side. That's how we started. We started in 2018 learning smart contracts. And yeah, honestly, no one in, no one in crypto has maybe more than three years of smart contract experience. Mm -hmm. And even the best ones probably have like a year or less of experience. So if you're already super technical... Just dive in and learn what the differences are of programming for smart contracts rather than just programming for, I guess, on a database or or whatever. So I, I would like build that um, skill internally. On the design side, there's a lot of really good kind of game uh, economy designers already. Actually, there's not a lot of them, but there are a lot of them in free-to-play. But the, like, what they need to internalize, the biggest difference is that in free-to-play, you are optimizing for just continuously selling stuff to the player, right? And here, you want the players via gameplay to create value in the economy and then sell them to other players. And then you're taking a much smaller percentage of that. So, for example, in Axie Infinity, the Axie, the game, doesn't sell Axies to players. Players uh, get SLP and breed and create new axes that are sold to other players. So it's a player-owned economy where players are creating value. Some players are buying that. And that's how the economy works. And Axie itself is taking a 4.25% fee of all transactions, right? So you're more like Amazon, the marketplace, rather than the direct um, seller. And this, I would say, is the biggest shift for free-to-play de designers that are basically used to kind of squeezing value out of players. How are you giving value to players instead so that they can make money in a game, they can have value, and other players would want to buy from them? That's the unique challenge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Moving on, I'd like to touch upon you know what's been on most of the crypto gaming space's mind over the past. Uh, it's been less than a month because it hasn't existed for, for a month even, and that is loot. So we discussed it over the previous two, two podcasts. And actually, I... I Learn about loot for you because I follow you <laughs> on Twitter and you, you talked about or you tweeted about your, your divine rope that you're very, uh -huh. uh, very proud of. Um, in my head, this is something, you know, fundamentally new. And as my colleague uh, on the Benacast, David, presented it, it's like you have to do the same thing with free to play where you have to burn everything that you know about games down uh, to start rebuilding from scratch. Um, maybe like, how do you look at the loot? How do you describe it to, to people that you know? And how, what opportunity do you see in it? Yeah, loot is interesting because it upends everything that we know about making games, right? So loot is uh, basically an NFT that has a bunch of items that are just written in text. So you may have like a divine robe, you may have uh, kind of plate armor, you may have a staff. And these are all recorded on chain. And so all of these are recorded on the blockchain and then it does nothing else. Right, which is kind of crazy, but there's so much commotion about it because there's this kind of purity about something that was released that anyone could mint and own. And now there's 
because these items that were part of your NFT are purely on-chain, you can build experiences on top of it and basically like from a community driven level make your game into different game experiences that could be uh, players could experience using a common set of assets so it's a very crypto native way to think about things it basically throws out the entire rule book for how games are made starts with basically a bunch of assets and community and dares you to make something out of it from 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 there mm-hmm is Yield Guild in any way involved in that? So currently, no. I own um, a bunch of loot items myself. Um, and I have a Divine Robe, which is like not even the rarest item in the game, but it's the most desired. So <laughs> yeah, it, it some has reason. some of the highest prices. Um, yeah. I, Yield Guild itself doesn't make games, but we support these games that have a play-to-earn component. So it's something we're watching keenly to see how it develops because we kind of don't want to really shape how the game is formed and 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 we like we want to support it if there is a play to earn game that we can be part of but it's too early for ygg to be involved as a guild itself but i think there are members in the community that are involved in loot itself and just love the kind of the conceptual idea of really creating something new from nothing using the very strengths of this new medium blockchain itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it feels so so yeah native and, and so it just all clicks, you know, at that point where it... It's very mind-boggling. Just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still haven't fully fully grasped it. And and what are your personal thoughts on, on the future of this thing? Like, do you think this this can work? Because you, the, the argument of the critics would be like, okay, but I mean, how could, you know, a bunch of, of crypto, you know, apes you, who are totally like too fond of, of divine robes and katanas, how could <laughs> they ever, you know live up to or make something that lives up to the the quality that people are used to you know built by epic games or an activision or whatever yeah so there's two things one is that the ultimate power that is highlighted by loot is that of composability composability is not something that is highly priced by traditional game developers because the traditional thinking is i want to make the items in my game and sell them why would i invite other people to use my items, that would be like sucking out my user base if I uh, like if I make my items available in another game. So it's a very, I would say, kind of like protectionist mode on your economy, which is what the traditional game industry is used to. Like Fortnite would not want other other players basically using the skins that you have, the items that you have, and having them played in another game. It just doesn't make sense for for that kind of business model, right? And what loot does is that it takes away all of that and just gives you items and nothing else and dares you to build upon it with the implicit notion that these items are all shared by uh, the community such that if there are different games that are made, then you have to share the assets that are there. Um, Yeah, second is that it takes advantage of kind of pure crypto economy in that it doesn't require you to have a lot of uh, I would say production value. So one of the things that people miss about blockchain games is that they think, you know, blockchain games will take off when the production value is higher. I can have something as polished as a Call of Duty and it has crypto in it. That's actually not what makes crypto special. What makes crypto games special is the ability to have a functioning economy inside of kind of a set rules of a game environment that allow people to to have value out of it. Which means that even if you strip away all of the graphics, all of the production value, if there is a working game economy, it'll work. And this is what most game people fix uh, miss because they're used to basically the production process of creating a highly polished AAA game experience. In crypto, what you need is a functional economy and everything on top of that is basically just secondary to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, my final question before uh, our closing questions that we ask everyone is um, a little bit more philosophical. How sustainable do you feel like play t- is play to earn for you, or, or at least from the perspective of a gamer? Because games are supposed to be fun. Um, what happens when you're actually doing this for a living? Huh. That's that's very interesting. So I I like the philosophical take on it. I think people have this notion that if I am 
play, if it becomes work, then it's not fun anymore. And I really want to push back on the nature of that and ask this question instead. What if all kinds of work that earn you money can be fun? Right? So you don't have to have a binary uh, question between, oh, am I having fun or am I doing work, which imp- which implies that work is not fun. What if there are many manners of doing work that are fun and I can earn money from that? That is a question we're trying to answer from a very philosophical level. And I think that is also something that most people miss because they have this implicit notion that work isn't fun. And I'm saying, I think work can be fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, awesome. Then uh, we have our, our two closing questions. Uh, first of all, what is the best piece of ex- advice you've ever received about building something in the blockchain games space? So the best advice I've ever received in blockchain game space, I think it's to just discard the notions that you've had and just try new things. Like people are a lot of people are afraid to make mistakes but when you're facing a new field you have to question all of the assumptions that you held especially in doing something like making games and be able to test all of those assumptions try them and see if they still hold up right um and yeah i think a lot of the things that we internalized making games in the game industry like do not hold as true or not as important when making blockchain games and you have to figure it out figure out what those are mm-hmm All right. And then the final question, could you share with us a bold prediction about the blockchain games industry? So blockchain games industry will be over a trillion dollars 10 years from now. It will, yeah. Only blockchain games, so not necessarily the the, the gaming space as as a whole. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. That's 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 a bold prediction. 10 years. All right. So in 10 years, we redo this and yeah. then we'll see where we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Gabby, for uh, for being on the Metacast. Thank you, Nico. Uh, dear listener, thank you for listening to the episode. Uh, if you like what you heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating. Um, and if you want to you know, join the conversation, have discussions with us, uh, feel free to join our Discord group. You can find the link um, in the description of this episode. This was the Metacast by Navic, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.